This is what he wants us to know about himself. He wants us to know that at 16, he went to volunteer for the KGB. Whether it actually happened is immaterial. He's the kind of guy who at 50 wanted people to think that at 16, he volunteered to be in the KGB. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. Be. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10, 10. We did not know each other. And we could not speak to each other because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who is taking donations from the NRA. It is because America has not invested in its people. Shame on you. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if we could have figured out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, that didn't happen. And here we are. You're wrong. Are you better off than you were four years ago? You didn't know this kid, okay? We did it. They're looking for help. We call BS. They're looking for help. They're not looking for more of the same. When people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their names. When a factory closes, I know the people who ran it. When the businesses go bankrupt, I know them. Well, Governor, we also have fewer horses and bayonets because the nature of our military has changed. We have these things called aircraft carriers where planes land on them. When we get enough money, honey, we'll bring you down. Children were saved, and their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public Access America. So he's scrappy. Uh, very ambitious, very, very greedy. Um, and this is actually an extraordinary trait of his, something that he has talked about. He, has, he doesn't call it greed. But the behavior he describes is so atypical for a Soviet boy or young man that it really stands out. Uh, and there aren't a lot of things that, were, that are extraordinary about Putin, but his greed is truly extraordinary. Uh, he describes a couple of incidents. One is, is he had a wristwatch as a kid. Now, even when I was growing up, uh, and I'm 15 years younger, a wristwatch, and I was, uh, and, and I come from a much more privileged background, a wristwatch for a kid was something that just, you didn't see. I mean, uh, certainly not, not a little kid. Uh, uh, a wristwatch was a, was a luxury. It was a luxury object, and he had one. Uh, we don't know the provenance of that, uh, of that wristwatch, but the fact that he got it which probably means that his father gave it to me and didn't have a wristwatch himself, shows a very skewed and unusual relationship both to material things and between sort of child and, and, and his parent. The second story is when he was in college, he got a very well-paying summer job um, building up um, in the far north, which was not unusual for, uh, for Soviet college students, uh, boys. And so he made a lot of money. And the first summer he did it, he went to Crimea afterward and spent all that money. Normally, a young man from a not well-off family 
would give most of that money and often all of that money to his parents. It would be their, uh, the money that they would eat on for the rest of the year. And he went and blew it all on vodka and, and entertainment in Crimea. And the second year, he says that he, he learned his lesson. He didn't blow the money. He returned to St. Petersburg with the, with the money and bought himself a beautiful overcoat and a cake for his mother. And again, that, that, that incredible disbalance between the luxurious object that he got for himself and a cake for his mother shows a very strange relationship with his parents. Uh, and the third story is that his parents won a car in a lottery. Um, and this, there was, there was, there was a, a single Soviet lottery that uh, a lot of people, most people played. Uh, sometimes some people would get lucky. Um, you, could get, you could take the car or you could take cash. If his parents had taken cash, it would have been enough to get them out of the communal apartment and into a place of their own, which was every Soviet citizen's dream. But they took the car and they gave it to their son, a college student. Uh, I'm quite certain that he was the only college student in Leningrad in the 1970s who had his own car. Why did, what's, what's up with the relationship? You must have asked lots of people and thought about it long and hard yourself. What is up with that? Um, well, I mean, th that's all conjecture, right? Um, uh, he was born to his parents very late. He was a miracle baby. His parents were in their early 40s. They had lived through the, the siege of Leningrad. His father had been disabled in the war, and his mother had nearly died of starvation. They had lost a son during the war to starvation, and they had lost another son before the war to a childhood illness. So for them to be an intact couple in which both, parents, uh, both people survived the siege, that was already a miracle. It was something you almost didn't see in Leningrad after the war. Uh, and then for, for them to be able to have a child in their early 40s would have been nothing short of a miracle. Um, he may well have been the only child born to a couple of survivors uh, in, their 19, in their 40s in 1950s Leningrad. So we can only imagine that that, that affected their relationship in some unusual way. Well, it makes him feel in some way magical and right. entitled. Chosen, yeah. Chosen. Chosen. Did, did any proof of that, that he feels that, uh, that he's chosen? Yes, there's a lot of uh, proof that he feels that he's chosen now, now that he's president. And I think that his, his unusual path to the, to the presidency, uh, the fact that he was uh, an accidental president, actually makes him feel more like he was chosen. Right? Because we don't actually believe in, ex in accidents as humans. We always think there's a reason for something happening. I make lots of films about famous presidents and leaders of agencies. And, you know, every, and the idea that there's somebody who has chosen as a character trait right. is astonishing and, and wonderful. Um, so let's take, oh, and let's deal with uh, KGB a volunteer at 16 years of age. Right. True story? Um, I mean, there's no way to corroborate this. And the way that I've always treated it is that uh, Putin is, is highly unusual in that before he became the prime minister of Russia, he had no public life. 
And so he had a chance to create his own image. And I think it's actually very important to know what he, ha uh, he wants to communicate, uh, what kind of image he wants to project. In a sense, it's more important than what actually happened. This is what he wants us to know about himself. He wants us to know that at 16, he went to volunteer for the KGB. Whether it actually happened is immaterial. He's the kind of guy who at 50 wanted people to think that at 16, he volunteered to be in the KGB. Thank you, Thank for, you for, listening for listening to Public, to Public Access, Access America. America. Produced by Public Access Pod. Discover great new playlists on SoundCloud at, at Public, Public Access, Access America. America. Discover our catalog of vintage videos on YouTube at, at Public, Public Access, Access America. America. And finally, finally, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple, on Apple Podcasts, Podcasts or anywhere. anywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Great. Uh, okay, so now we're back at Dresden, and uh, he's missed Glasnost and Perestroika. He's... Uh, uh, Let's dispel or deal with another rumor. Uh, Moscow is silent, and the shoving of shoveling of uh, documents into a stove so much that the stove cracks and breaks. Again, more of the myth making. Again, we we don't know, right? This is a story that he tells. It's a story that's clearly very important to him. It's 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 his memory that he owns. Whether it's based on real events, we have no idea. I mean, it it is definitely true that there were a lot of demonstrations in East Germany at the time, and especially in Dresden. Uh, Dresden was a city uh, that the railway went through, um, and so a lot of Hungarian refugees uh, were going through, uh, on the trains through Dresden to West Germany, after West Germany started taking um, refugees and Hungary opened the border. So. Uh, so the, Dresden was, was sort of a key place in that sense, and it's definitely true that there were uh, huge demonstrations. Now, what Putin tells us is that during one of those demonstrations, people were outside the KGB building where he worked, and he was afraid they were going to storm the building. And then he went out on the porch and addressed them and said that he had every right to be there, although he said he was an interpreter. He didn't say he was an, age, an officer. And then he called the uh, the local Red Army outpost and asked them to send security. And they said, we can't do that without orders from Moscow, and Moscow is silent. And so he then went and started burning documents that they had in this KGB building, and he burnt them in the furnace until the furnace cracked from the heat. That's the story as he tells us. Um, I think the important elements for him in the story are sort of three. One is that he's afraid of public protest, and that's, uh, that's demonstrably true. He is terrified of people in the streets. Uh, the other is that he, uh, he felt betrayed by the Soviet Union as a KGB agent in Germany, and I think that that's the reason that he keeps returning to this uh, sort of origin story, is that it partly explains his understanding of the collapse of the Soviet Union as the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of our time, as he has said. And number three is that he is loyal. Moscow had betrayed him, the Red Army had betrayed him, but there he was, burning documents to the last f for some 
reason that only he could actually deduce, but, um, but it's very clearly a story about he con- how he continued to do his duty, even though he could have walked away. I mean, we clearly understand that he could have just shut the door or padlocked the door and joined the protesters, right? But he continued doing his job even after the Kremlin had abdicated. There's this uh, film that he apparently watched all the time. Again, another right. part of the story, the sword and the, or the shield and the sword or whatever it is. And, uh, and, and, and by the time, well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but I think it's um, re- remarkable the way he, he has invented a sort of hymn that explains the hymn right. that will live in the world in his 50s and early 60s. Well, we, we all do it. Well, not me. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure that's true. But it's, in this case, manifests itself right. in some amazing ways, which we'll get to. History in the making, 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 history in the making.